There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. Exactly 25 years ago today, Jewel released her breakthrough single, Who Will Save Your Soul. I spoke with the singer-songwriter about that life-changing moment and her memoir, Never Broken. Hi, Jason. How are you? Hey, Jewel. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Now, before we dive into the memoir, um, I, I want to ask you real quick about your reality shows on Discovery. Yeah, Alaska, the last frontier. You know, my family, it's their show. It's my dad and my brother and my uncle and my cousin. Most people don't even realize it's my family, uh, the Kilcher family. They were discovered completely on accident and had nothing to do with the fact that they were my family. Wow. So a lot of people don't even, you know, realize um, it's, it is my family. Uh, and it was just fun. I was going up there just to take my son home and they happened to be filming and shooting at the time. So my son and I jumped in and I got to share a lot of how I was raised with him. And so that was really a treat for me. Wow, that's cool. Which I guess dovetails into your book nicely about how you were raised. Why'd you decide to, you know, put pen to paper here and finally write this? I mean, you've been in the public eye for like 25 years, but why sit and do the memoir now? I keep getting asked how I went from an abusive childhood to moving out at 15 to being homeless at 18, and how did I end up okay? A lot of people suffer from so many setbacks in life, and they really fear that they're broken forever and that they're damaged goods, and that isn't the case. And so I decided to share my life story because I've had about every single setback a human can have (laughs) um, and found the resilience and internal resources to really overcome them and say, this is going to make me a more exceptional person, not a damaged one. And everybody can do that. Um, it doesn't take the right therapist or the right house or the right career. Um, it really has to do with our thoughts. And if we're willing to take accountability and say, nobody can keep me unhappy, um, it's up to me. Yeah, let's say some of our listeners are, because I'm sure there are people out there that that have that are going through similar things, and they maybe themselves feel like damaged goods, like you said. You know what? What might reading this book sort of you know inspire them to get past that? If I can overcome these setbacks, I really believe anybody can. Because I didn't have any resources. I didn't have a family. I was homeless. Um, I had no food. I had I had nothing. And I remembered this quote that Buddha said that happiness doesn't depend on who we are or what we have. It depends on what we think. And so I really started looking at, all right, what am I thinking? If my thoughts inform my actions and my actions build a life, what are the quality of my thoughts? Um, But I couldn't really get a grip on my thoughts because I was too scared. I was having panic attacks and I couldn't witness my thoughts in real time. But then I made this kind of discovery that Descartes said, we think, therefore we are. I think, therefore I am. And I would refine that a little bit to say, I perceive what I think, therefore I am. If you can perceive you're sad, if you can perceive you're happy, we're something other than sad or happy. We are something other than our thoughts. Uh, There is a driver in the car, and our brain is not the driver. Um, And the more we can get rid of the anxiety and the clutter in our mind and really drop into our own intuitive sense, we'll be able to 
redirect and have a real say in the narrative of our life rather than just inheriting a life um, that we feel like we have no say over. So that's what the book is about. And I built the website to share the particular um, exercises that I learned um, so that it can help other people. It's a free website. It's a free resource. And they're very simple, doable exercises anybody can incorporate into their lives at any age. Give us the website address. It's jewelneverbroken.com. I love it. I love it. All right. Well, we'll definitely encourage our listeners to check out the website. But if they pick up the book first, um, how much uh, in, into your youth do you go into? Like, I think I read you yodeled with your parents and then you sang with your father and some honky tonks before you made your way to Michigan. Sort of take our listeners into those early days and how uh, the Arts Academy sort of uh, shaped your life. Yeah, I started singing with my parents when I was five. I got up on stage with them. They sang in hotels for tourists. Um, I started yodeling at that age. <laughs> when I was eight, my mom left, and I took her place in the family act. Um, but instead of singing in hotels, we were singing in bars and things like that. And then I ended up moving out at 15 and knew statistically girls like me end up repeating the cycle they were raised by, and I didn't want that to happen to me. And so I set out on this very conscious mission of, like, can I re-nurture myself mm-hmm. um, if my nurture was bad? And ended up getting a scholarship to a very prestigious school in Milwaukee, in Michigan. And uh, it really upped my game because I was surrounded by such talented kids. And I was in a very good position of feeling very grateful for the opportunity and didn't take it, you know, I tried to take full advantage of every single aspect of it. And I learned to play guitar uh, during that time because I uh, was hitchhiking around in America <laughs> during spring breaks because I couldn't afford to get home to Alaska. And that's how I started writing songs. Is it true that you mentioned the spring break? Was it true that you were on a spring break uh, down in Mexico or on the way there when you wrote your first, when you wrote Who Would Save Your Soul? Yeah, I was surprised. At school, you weren't allowed to stay on campus for the spring breaks. You had to go home, and I couldn't afford it. And mm-hmm. so I decided to make lemonade out of lemons and you know street sing across America and just having adventures. Um, and so that's what I did. I started street singing and um, made up lyrics as I saw people walking by, and that ended up becoming Who Save Your Soul. That's so cool. And that, of course, became part of your amazingly successful debut album, Pieces of You. How did that that album sort of, you know, just totally change your whole paradigm in your life? Because that thing, that thing was massive. Yeah, it was unreal. When I got signed, um, it was the height of grunge, and I was tired of feeling bad. Um, and so... I was starting to talk about how do I feel better, you know, and it was so out of sync with the times, um, but I didn't want to change who I was. And so I, I was hoping to have just a career. I never thought I would get, you know, big play on the radio, but I thought if I worked really hard, I could have a career like John Prine or something like that. And so I just set about working really hard and amazingly a tide shift happened and um, I started to really dig in my heels and I did, you know, seven or 800 shows a year. I was doing four and five cities, you know, only three, three and four cities a day. Um, it was really tremendous amount of work, but it ended up really paying off. And, you know, I sold, I think 3000 records in the first 12 months. And then after that, I started selling a half a million records every month. It was pretty unreal. That's insane. Do you remember where you were when you wrote, you were meant for me in foolish games? Do you remember how those actually sparked you? How they came to you? Yeah. People can YouTube my, uh, drug bust story in Mexico. uh, And it tells the story of going to Mexico and accidentally getting involved in a, a drug bust, um, <laughs> and me and my friend Steve Poltz ended up staying and hanging out with the Federales, and we wrote "You Were Meant for Me" on that trip. <laughs> That's so great. And Foolish Games was it not a drug bust for that one, right? No, I'd always loved uh, Leonard Cohen's "The Famous Blue Raincoat," mm-hmm. and I'd always wanted to write a song that was very 
had a lot of imagery and angst and uh, Foolish Games was a poem um, that I had had started and I turned it into a song. Awesome. I think we were, we were talking with uh, Belinda Carlisle of the Go-Go's and she was saying how that it's almost like you have your 20 years to make your first album and it goes huge and then you have like two years to make your second. But uh, but for you, you didn't really fall into that problem. I mean, your second one went just as he, I mean, it went multi-platinum again, had hands on it and your third one was big with Standing Still. How did you sort of keep it going on, on you know, further albums? Because a lot of people, you know, they put into that first album, but then they, they're out of material. You know, I think I'd had hundreds of songs by the time I got discovered. Um, and so I never had the pressure of trying to figure out, ooh, I have to write a whole record from scratch. Even my most recent record, I just did a new folk record that's very similar to Pieces of You, and some of the songs I wrote on there I wrote when I was 19, um, and then some of them I wrote very recently. And I've done that with every single album, my pop records, my rock records, my country records. I've been writing every genre since the very beginning, um, and so I've only ever had to complete just one or two or three or, you know, a handful of songs for each record. Plus, my first record was so successful that, you know, Bob Dylan mentored me and, you know, he had told me, he goes, you have to follow your muse no matter where it takes you. Don't think about being popular. Think about what interests you creatively, what keeps you alive creatively. And so I really had the luxury of being able to experiment because my first record was so successful. I didn't have to have another success. I've never personally gotten my self-worth from like, ooh, am I famous enough? Is the song a hit enough? It's just a horrible hamster wheel to be on. Um, and so I've just tried to do what interested me creatively, and that's how I've led my life. Tell me about going country here with Perfectly Clear. We talked to Darius Rucker, and he said that there was some resistance at first, but, uh, you know, he just put his head down, and everyone loves him, and now he's part of the Opry. But how did, did, did you have a similar experience, or how did that go for you? Yeah, um, I was raised on country music um, and great singer-songwriters. So I listened to Loretta Lynn, Dolly Parton, as much as, you know, gosh, Merle Haggard and Joni Mitchell and Neil Young and Bob Dylan. Um, it was just part of my my life, and I knew I had audience members that were country fans. And it just meant coming in and putting your head down and working hard, being authentic. Um, it does mean starting over, and that's okay with me. You know, I was perfectly happy to do that and really enjoyed um, the way I was embraced by the community. Awesome. We really appreciate you joining us. Final seconds. I mean, you can do it all. The music genres, best-selling poem books, and even your, your, you can even do a little stand-up. We saw the Comedy Central roast with Ron Below, and you were funny. What was that like? <laughs> it was a lot of fun. It was strange and surreal. Um, I do a lot of stand-up in my own shows, which nobody really knows. Um, but it's never mean, and it's usually self-effacing. So to get up there and just go after, you know, 12 people that are on a dais, you know, it's a very <laughs> surreal experience. But it actually was a great opportunity. I enjoyed it. <laughs> There's a new song, On a Dais, On a Dais. All right. Jewel, thanks so much for joining us. <laughs> we really appreciate it. Uh, the memoir is called Never Broken. Songs are only half the story. Thank you so much, Jewel. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for joining us on Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Remember to hit the subscribe button and give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time.
I wanted to take a second to tell you about an app I really enjoy. Living in the D.C. area is great, and Podcast D.C. gathers all of the local shows that I like all in one local app. Health, sports, local news, politics, and so much more. Podcast D.C. is the new local app with hundreds of D.C. area podcasts to choose from. I can earn exciting rewards just for listening and share the podcasts I love instantly. Available in the App Store or in Google Play, listen local with Podcast D.C.